0: This episode of Inside Transportation is sponsored by Ford Motor Company. Built on the belief that freedom of movement drives human progress, from connectivity to autonomy, AI to machine learning, Ford has one simple goal, to improve mobility for its customers. To learn more about Ford's work in mobility, autonomous vehicles, and their global efforts to improve mobility for its customers, visit corporate.ford.com. That's corporate
1: and we're live welcome to inside transportation uh this is nicholas Travia. with us today we have garrett mccrich ceo of pipe dream labs welcome garrett
0: hey thank you so much for having me
1: for sure yeah uh, to start with, um, walk us through what HyperLogistics is and how did you come about with the idea for uh, Pipe Dream Lab? Yeah, yeah, So a great
0: question. Um, when we first started Pipe PipeDream, uh, it was it really started with just a goal of, you know, last mile logistics is something that we've always kind of been obsessed with. And so when we were starting Pipe Dream, we were asking ourselves, okay, what is that two decade bet that we want to take on the future? Um, What is that thing that we want to work on for the next, you know, 10 years, 20 years of our lives to focus every day, making, uh, working on it um, to try to make it possible. The, uh, and so when we were looking at last mile, we said, okay, what is the, uh, uh, where is last mile going? And so we kind of started from like teleportation. Like once you have teleportation, you kind of got last mile solved, but what's on this side of teleportation such that. Uh, when you can make it work, it makes teleportation less interesting. Um, it's kind of like that near teleportation state. And we just gave it a name. And that hyperlogistics is the name that we gave it. But the way that we define hyperlogistics is a state where in a city, you can have something that is also in the city delivered to your home or business in single digit minutes or seconds. And just as easy as you receive from the network, you can send back out. And as we started thinking about, okay. What is that going to mean? Like, if you can make hyperlogistics work, like, how is that going to change the world? We just had our mind blown. There's like so many ways that that is going to change both like commerce and environmentalism and all these different things that we said that is the thing that we're going to spend the next two decades of our lives on. If we can try to make hyperlogistics possible, and even if we fail, if we spend the next two decades of our lives trying to make hyperlogistics possible and it doesn't work, but something we do makes it possible for someone else to make it work. That's a worthy two decades of our lives spent. And so that's how Pipe Dream started, was just we had a goal of let's make hyperlogistics possible this decade. And that's kind of like it remains the rallying cry of the company, you know, uh, e- even regardless of the technology. Uh, our goal is to make hyperlogistics a reality this
1: decade. I'm still hoping that you develop uh, teletransportation. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. In the we're meantime to, uh, really we're
0: <laughs> of split on if that's like even possible, honestly. <laughs>
1: Uh, In in the meantime, if you could uh, give us a uh, brief overview of what PipeDream Labs is today.
0: Yeah, yeah, so um, we, uh, sorry, this is the first time that I've ever had a podcast where I can hear myself in the headphones. (laughs) Um, It's only on my side, but it kind of threw me off in the beginning, Uh, my bad. um, So uh, PipeDream right now, yes, we're focused on making hyperlogistics possible this decade. And what we saw on the market that was missing to make autonomous delivery uh, a reality um, at at that speed was a a ground-based underground system, uh, very similar to the utilities like water and sewage that you use in a city. Um, And uh, so just like water and sewage are are through pipes, underground interconnecting um, homes and business in a city. In the same way, we're using underground pipes uh to facilitate a network of robots to deliver packages around the city. And so at its base layer, that's what we're working on at Pipe Dream.
1: Uh, what stage are you currently at? Uh, do you have a working <laughs> prototype uh, that you're currently testing?
0: Yeah. So we started Pipe Dream. Um I had taken like two years to you know think about uh, you know what I wanted to do and, and so that was kind of the years that we spent diligencing this idea. And then we really started it about a year ago. Um, so like January, February last year. That's when we went full-time and, and really focused on the tech part stage. Um, so, yeah, that's exactly where we're at. We're super early. Um, you know, we, We're like eight versions through on the prototype, but we're in a really good spot from the technology standpoint, and we're ready to start piloting it. Uh, so we're going into a, a city um, that we're not naming yet, uh, but we're going to have a pilot up and running this year.
1: What exactly is making the products move along the pipes? Uh, are they like vacuum pressured or uh, some sort of like platform? Yeah, yeah.
0: So th- that that's the hardest thing about going underground. So when we started Pipe Dream, we actually didn't even want to go underground. Um, you know, we we uh, we're big drone people, so we were really kind of focused on drones in the early stages, and then we're like, okay, well, you know, what's missing from the ecosystem to make uh because it seems like drones should be able to do it all like like what's missing and uh that's when we were looking at like ground systems and you know asked ourselves the terrible question of like is, is an underground system missing like is that even possible cost effective and so when we went um when we started looking at underground we started looking at like okay what uh how do you make the underground work like how do you make sure that underground logistics is scalable like What are the key pieces uh, to make that uh, a thing that will exist and scale and you can move really quickly on? And so uh, we kind of gave ourselves three rules. One was if you're going to go underground, then you need to be able to scale as fast as possible. And if you need to scale as fast as possible, then you need to make the infrastructure as cheap as possible, both from the materials and the cost to install. Um, cause that's really your core cost is your installation cost. So how do you make that as cheap as possible for linear foot? That's number one. Number two is it can't break. And, you know, we didn't know about, uh, when we started, we didn't know about New York, Chicago, Berlin, that they had tried underground, uh, in like the 1800s. And we didn't know that the postmaster general, he actually wanted the whole U S postal system to work off an underground pneumatic system where you have like air pressure differentials and because there's a vacuum on one side it's pulling a pod uh you know uh, through a tube um that's how it worked in new york chicago berlin and we didn't know about that luckily so when we were going underground we go okay well if you're going to put something underground then you need to make sure that it never breaks it cannot break underground because if it breaks underground that means you have to dig it up to fix it and there's a large amount of downtime and so that was number two is is it can't break underground then uh, number three was it needs to be able to be installed with as much current regu- regulation as possible. If there needs to be a new regulatory in order to install it, then it's probably not going to work. And so those were our three rules. And because of that, we you know, we went with um, just normal plastic PVC HDPE pipes, which is the exact same pipes that they use for other utilities. Um, and so there's nothing new or unique about the pipes. They're just normal, uh, plastic pipe, <laughs> and then all the technology we put into the robots themselves. Um, so there is a pod, and there is a what we call the the robot on the front end um, that are just. It's essentially like a, imagine a remote control car rolled up as a burrito. Uh, it is just a um, a small vehicle that traverses the pipes. Uh, but the good thing about that is, you know, one, it keeps our per linear foot cost as cheap as possible. Two. Uh, it's the exact same pipes you're using for other utilities. So as far as the regulatory goes, it's, it's pretty easy for a city to look at it and um, you know know where it fits in their in the regulatory environment. But three, it means that if something's going to break, it's going to break on the robot level. Um, so the only thing that can break is a robot in the tunnel. And so there's there's a few ways that it can break, but but nine ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the times. Uh, you'll be able to push the robot or get the robot out without having to dig up the the tunnel. So um, that's the that's the core platform. Is it's the the tunnel is just basically like a roadway, uh, and then the the robots are, are cars that move around it.
1: How are you keeping track of the robots? I suppose like GPS would have trouble reaching underground. Uh, is there are there other sensors or uh, how how would navigation work?
0: Yeah, super tricky problem. Because yeah, you're right. There there's not you, there are some ways to get communication underground. Um, uh, there are some signals uh, that if if you just have it in the tunnel, it can propagate pretty far through the tunnel network. Um, but we're just right now we're assuming not. So we're the, the good news though is that there's not very many places for the robot to go. There's kind of a fixed network. Pretty easy to download that network onto the the vehicle itself and give it most of the intelligent. That it needs to operate a mission without being connected to the internet, Um, and then it can, uh, you know, as a wheel sensor, um, it knows how far it's gone. It can kind of calibrate that as like it hits certain turns and and things like that. Um, And so the robot itself has all the equipment that it needs to figure out where it's at, know where it needs to go, and have the ability to like make on the on the fly calls on you know where where it needs to go next. So there is. uh, we, we call them as the portals, the the interchange point in between where um, a robot will pull up and extract a cargo. Uh, at those points, there is a connection to the internet. So any information, any new information that either the system knows that it needs to communicate to a pod, or that the pod has found in the system and needs to communicate uh, back to, uh, you know, the the cloud. Um, it can happen there. But in between, it, it's mostly a, a, the, the robot has everything it needs to traverse that network.
1: Is your uh, startup involved in the digging process as well? Or do you outsource that?
0: Yeah. Uh, the good news is, like, because you know, we're the exact same size as other utilities, there's kind of a huge ecosystem to put in utilities. Uh, so when we go into a city, there's five or six construction companies that they already work with who you know, put in you know, miles and miles of, of this in, uh, infrastructure in every day. And so right now, we're not focused on innovating on that side. There's been a lot of innovation. Uh, there is currently a lot of innovation going into there. Um, right now, we're kind of focused on just working with those companies to make sure uh, that the solutions they're developing are also going to work for us, but uh, not not putting any of our own bandwidth into that right now. Uh,
1: be, so... I suppose you would have to um, apply for permits to dig underground. Um, how do you see this uh, playing out? Uh, and are c- cities receptive uh, to, to this idea?
0: Yeah, so um, that, that, it, it, it's a very early idea. I just want to like, I want to preference everything with this is so early, <laughs> and everything that we know right now is um, an educated guess. Uh, until we are actually in the ground somewhere, uh, everything uh, you know, we 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 like to say a lot that like we hold our paradigms really closely, but not really tightly, um, and you know we're taking in new information all the time. So uh, right now in our first pilot city, you know, the permitting process was a two-day process. Um, we submitted where we wanted to go. Uh, we agreed on a franchise fee um, that we're paying them uh, per mile, uh, and then. Um, they they approved us. Uh, and I, th- I think right now we kind of, there is not regulation for uh, robotics underground in cities. And so as far as the city is set up to regulate, uh, they're regulating on, you know, what is the type of infrastructure going in. And so for us, it's the, you know, 12 inch PVC pipe. Um, and so I think we, uh, you know, in, in practice, it has been pretty easy. Um, you know, definitely want to talk to, uh, the city regulators and make sure, um, they're, they're good with, with what we're doing, but the permitting process has been pretty easy so far.
2: Hey everybody. Just want to let you know that this episode of Inside Transportation is sponsored by our friends at the Ford Motor Company. Built on the belief that freedom of movement drives human progress from connectivity to autonomy, Ford has one simple goal, and that's to improve the mobility of its customers. Ford has been using technology to shape the future of transportation for over 100 years and is dedicated to solving the world's most pressing mobility issues. What you might not know is that Ford has a series of divisions that make these visions a reality. Ford X is Ford's venture incubator, that unites entrepreneurs, designers, and engineers to shape the future of transportation. Ford's City Innovations team brings innovative ideas to life through community workshops, crowdsourcing initiatives, and citywide mobility challenges. And SPIN, a property of Ford, brings e-scooter sharing to cities and college campuses. So here's your call to action. To learn more about Ford's work in mobility, autonomous vehicles, and their global efforts to improve mobility for its customers, visit corporate.ford.com. That's corporate.ford.com.
1: What are some of the other uh, challenges that that you you may foresee, uh, other variables that you look for uh, in setting up a, a city to launch in?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think regulatory is a big one. I mean, if, if, you know, the city, uh, we want the city to not only be on board, but, uh, be championing it. Um, cause like, you know, there's, there's a big difference between just being able to pull permits and, and having a city behind you. And so, uh, you know, um, some of the people we've brought on, uh, have had a lot of experience in the city regulatory process. And, um, I, I see that as a, as uh, definitely one of the, um, bigger obstacles. We want to make sure that, uh, we have a good relationship, and, and uh, everyone is championing us to, to be in there. Uh, and then two, um, I think, the, uh, uh, I, I think the, the biggest thing here is, you know, we're not creating really any new technology. Um, we're not creating, uh, you know, putting these pipes underground is not something new for anybody. Uh, it's v- done all the time. And I, the, the biggest thing for us is what we really want to nail is what is, the, what is the right way to kickstart this network? Because we definitely have um, kind of a, a two-sided marketplace problem where uh, kind of chicken and egg is where you, you want to put in the least amount of miles of pipe to get the most value to start the network out. And then as you add you know a mile here, a mile there, there's kind of a network effect. So if you can nail the first implementation, then um, growing the network just adds to both the people who the network can deliver to, and the types of places the network can deliver from. Um, so right now, we you know we have a simulator that we've built that kind of like allows us to test different configurations, um, different miles, and and really like focus on how do we achieve a really quick ROI on uh, the install cost of one of those networks. And so right now we're really focused on a ten to fifteen mile uh, middle mile network in a city. So that means when we say middle mile network, that's uh, it's kind of like a subway system for things where you have uh, uh, portals in, in every district or neighborhood, uh, and every neighborhood is connected so that if you have a bunch of stuff you want to send from one area to another area, you just go to a portal, all those things distribute, and they can be collected at the other end of the portal. Um, and the goal of that is not really for peer-to-peer or you know, me sending something to you. That's for businesses to augment the current delivery network uh and get things closer and closer and closer to the end user so that when a truck or a sidewalk robot or a drone needs to pick up that package and deliver it to the end user it is as close as possible um to that person uh right off the bat so that's uh i think that's the hardest one it's just like managing and finding what is going to be that first network in a city uh that you can build off of going forward but delivers enough value from the start
1: So initially, it would be something more akin to like an Amazon locker, where you have like pickup and drop off locations like between vendors and customers as opposed to uh, getting from a warehouse onto a person's uh, apartment, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So you really want to put in that skeleton of the network first and then be able to build on top of it because going from every house and business is a pretty, I mean, that's like a ridiculously daunting thing that is fundamentally impossible right now, right? But if you have a, a connection point in every neighborhood uh, district in a city, well, now building off of that isn't as crazy. And, and as, as that network grows and scales, um, you know, it's kind of like this uh, uh, spider web um, where uh, you start to you know, add more connection points in a city and, and now connecting things straight up to that network uh, makes a lot more sense. So um, you know, I, I think the Amazon Locker is a really good... It's a, it's a really good analogy. However, I don't see um, an end user ever interfacing with that locker. That locker is for businesses. I still think that that people and customers, if you're going to have something delivered, I still think that the best, um, and this is obviously something that may change over time, but I think that the best interaction is still something showing up on your doorstep. Um, what we reduce, though, is the need for uh, a person or, or a Surface robot uh, to go all the way across the city delivering something and instead they can handle that that distance from you know the amazon locker to the door uh, which is you know hopefully more like a quarter mile to a half mile uh, connection instead of the multi-mile cross city uh trip
1: right so initially the um, the e-commerce vendors would have to would be your main client right uh, what you- was that the e-commerce vendors, yeah. uh, like say uh, Amazon or like Shopify, would be your your main clients, right? Uh, have you have you spoken to to any of them, and what what what's the reception you're getting?
0: Yeah, so they would be the three PLs, so the the third par- party logistics providers, or um, like a Shopify, Amazon, who is providing direct logistics. Um, they're one side of that, and then there's also you know we, what we kind of say is our our uh, customers. Oh. There's anyone who has an object already in the city and wants to deliver it to another part of the city. So that also includes everyone who's doing food delivery or convenience delivery, uh, micro-fulfillment, uh, anyone like that. And yeah, we, we, we've talked to, to a lot of people. Um, we're really focused on the tech side right now, but like starting those relationships. Um, at the end of the day, you know those customers don't really care how something gets from their fulfillment center to the end user. Uh, it is really just how do you reduce the cost, but still stay within uh, whatever delivery window they're trying to uh, hit. That's the uh, that's the magic equation for them.
1: Why would uh, business uh, businesses use this service uh, as opposed to uh, the current methods and just investing in um, electric trucks to do the whole uh, trajectory? What are the advantage of, advantages of, of this?
0: Yeah, so uh, delivery right now is still just so expensive. And especially as you're trying to, you know, the holy grail of delivery right now is getting into that, uh, you know, first the one day delivery, um, then same day delivery. And then, you know, throughout the the rest of the decade, the goal is going to be to enter that two hour, three hour delivery window. Um, and when you have a person who is uh, involved in that entire uh, delivery, that raises the price um, so high. And so if you have a, you know, these autonomous solutions, us, us included, uh, just reduce the cost of um, delivering that thing by so much. So I think electric vehicles do save on fuel, um, but largely fuel is not the, the most expensive uh, part of that delivery. Um, so our, our goal is that, you know, if, if we can get just the object just closer, you know, from the fulfillment center um, to, you know, five minutes away from the end user, uh, the, um, delivery companies can still hit their, uh, you know, same day or, or three hour, two hour target. Um, but the amount that the, the human actually has to be involved with the delivery is just really reduced. Um, which is still, I mean, like, humans in, are great at like getting something to a door. That's There's so many variables to getting a delivery to the door, <laughs> uh, super complicated process. Um. But then they're they're great at that. But if you can just reduce the amount of time that they actually have to be involved to make that happen, that's uh, uh, that's our goal.
1: Uh, we have question from a viewer. Uh, good's still expensive. Just to leave the ports, how much of that cost is passed on to you?
0: Uh, the ports meaning... Oh, yeah. So uh, we... We come into play on the city level. So when there is uh, you know uh, object it originates, let's say in China, um, it, it gets moved to a port, uh, the you know, takes the shipping container trip to another port. all those goods get um, you know, they're they're on pallets, so all the pallets get removed from the container, um, broken up and sent to their uh, relative, whatever fulfillment center they're gonna go to. So they're gonna now they're in, the city that they're going to be uh, delivered from. That's kind of where we come into play. So there's still all the costs associated downstream of getting to the fulfillment center, uh, but we don't come into play until the the object is residing in a fulfillment center outside of a city or in a city.
1: I suppose there's also a, a speed advantage, right? Uh, likely more, uh, like a lot faster than, than traffic. So How what's the uh, sort of maximum speed that uh, a pod could go?
0: Yeah, so we're targeting um, 120 miles an hour. Uh, that's something that we're still going to, you know, we're still developing. Uh, the current prototype is specced for it, uh, you know, but the good news is to, to get the efficiencies that we need, you don't need to go that fast. Um, 30 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour gets you most of the efficiency um, at, at that speed. It, anywhere past that, you know, there there's... Uh, You know, because we're not removing air from the tunnels, um, there is like, as you start to go faster, there becomes an air pistoning problem, you got to remove the air, um, or or move it around the vehicle. Uh, So that's something that we're going to improve over time. But a lot of the efficiency uh, that we're providing can be found at the slower speeds. We're kind of in like their paradigm still of delivery, where, you know, uh, food delivery still operates on the 30 minute to an hour time scale. Um, E-commerce operates on the one to two day time scale. So speed is not really the most important piece right now. It's really cost, um, cost and volume. Uh, And then over time, you know, as we become more accustomed and, and, you know, the autonomous networks and cities become more robust, uh, then speed is is going to play a factor as you try to get down from the 30 minute time window down to 10 minute down to five minute. um, And then over time. So we're, we're trying to build for that future. uh, But right now, um, yeah, we're, we're focused on just uh, you know getting everything in and, and allow it to handle high volume at slower speeds.
1: So right now, you're uh, focused on establishing these uh, points uh, across cities where um, where companies could use. Uh, looking at, at it um, in a two, three-year horizon, do you see yourself going uh, B2C or B2B or B as well? I suppose this could be. Uh, uh, useful for companies moving from uh, their products from a warehouse to their distribution centers. Um, Have you had any conversations uh, around that? What are your thoughts? Uh, On the B2B side? Both B2B and B2C.
0: Yeah, lots of conversations on the B2B side. I think that that is for the foreseeable future going to be uh, our customer base. Um, So a lot of conversations there. And our goal is just to really augment uh, people's current delivery process like we um, you know we're not a replacement for anybody we're not going to replace anyone's process but we will help them take a, a bulk of the delivery um, uh, where a human in a car needs to to be present and and just reduce the uh, you know take as many miles out of, of that as we can uh, On the b2 C side I I don't foresee a future where we ever touch, touch the customer. I think there are so many, there are so many other complications to uh, that, um, that right now we just want to focus on uh, uh, augmenting the people who are already doing that well. Um, Maybe, maybe sometime in the very, very, very far distant future. uh, But I think like even there, you know, as uh, commerce kind of, you know, we we see it fragmenting into just several pieces, but I think uh, there's still going to be someone who is, you know, there's still going to be a front end provider, who is uh, you know, makes the app, makes the website that gets the order. Um, you know, I think I, by that time it's gonna move to to something similar to like a drop shipping uh e-commerce style fulfillment network. Um, and there's gonna be people who handle the storage of things. And I think we'll still like uh we're just gonna augment the, the delivery networks, but I I think we stay B2B um for, for forever, probably. <laughs>
1: what's your uh, biggest challenge today uh, and what would be your your next step as as you plan the journey of your startup
0: yeah right now it's hiring I you know we have super high hiring standards um, that one I think it's it's the reason that we've gotten to the point that we're at is that we have stayed um, diligent on making sure that we maintain those hiring standards uh, but it makes it super hard it makes it super hard to find the right people yeah uh, <laughs> We, um, you know, it's, it's a super complicated problem, but it like in that complication there, there's so much, it's so fun to work on. Um, and our, the, the thing that's holding back us back the most right now is we've kind of, we've cleared through the hurdles um, that were really restricting our growth the most. Um, from the tech side, regulatory side. Uh, now for us, it's, it's how, it's not, can we get past these hurdles? It's how fast can we run? Like, so we need, like our focus right now is on speed. And what is going to make us go faster is getting the right people on board. So uh, the, I, I think that's the biggest hurdle for us right now is just can we hire uh, the best people in the world, um, and, and that's what takes up most of most of my time.
1: Well, uh, thanks for your time, Garrett. Um, that that's all we have for for today, and thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks, Nick. This was this was awesome, um, and I will if I could get one little plug sure. uh, to kind of like dovetail off of that is, um, you know, if someone's listening to this, uh, you're fascinated by the concept or, or you want to try to help us make hyperlogistics possible, um, go to pipedreamlabs.co backslash careers. Uh, we would love to talk to you. Really, I mean, we, we have hired, you know, people in college. We've hired people who have had, you know, billion dollar exits. It's that that whole gambit. Um, the thing that matters the most is that, you know, you're hungry to learn. Uh, you like working on teams of, of really smart people. Uh, and you just have a passion to bring this concept, uh, to life. So, uh, we would love to, to meet you.
1: All right. Thanks again.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Nick.